0: chick flicks, romantic comedies, rom-coms. You love them, you hate them, but we are here to eviscerate them. Welcome to the Rom-Com
1: Killjoys podcast.
0: We're your hosts, Eliza Bertrand and Janelle Walker.
1: Now, let's get on with some feminist joy killing.
0: This week's hottest rom-com has everything. Diners, witty banter, a high-speed car chase, revenge killings, Ladatorial combat, a romantic getaway to the French Riviera, sand. In a film series that has either three, six, nine, or 11 movies, depending on how you count it, and whose genre is either sci-fi, space-western, action, or political thriller, this, arguably the worst film of the franchise, is, in fact, a romance. That's right, folks. Attack of the Clones is a rom-com. We're here to prove it. It's a bad one. But still,
1: yes, I feel like uh, this this is a really fun week for me because I'm not really a Star Wars fan. Sorry, listeners, I'm not that kind of nerd most of the time. But you know what I love about this movie is that I don't even need a Google summary for it because you know what my summary is for this movie? Are you what? ready? So, ready. um, to quote the youths, "Mommy, sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy." Thank you.
0: <laughs> That's your summary of this film, Chanel. <laughs>
1: Wow. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. And I stand by that.
0: I mean, you're not like super far off. Um, she's pretty far <laughs> off. <laughs> so as you can tell, we have a guest today. We have my absolute beloved bestie, roomie, and other half of my brain, the marvelous and Star Wars obsessed, Alexandra Supervoice. Hi, everyone. I'm here today to be
2: the Star Wars voice in the conversation. Because. <laughs> I'd love to have you. <laughs> and here's a fun fact. I don't really like rom-coms, which Eliza can attest to because living together for five years, whenever she has to watch a rom-com, I subtly find a way to leave the room. (laughs) However, this month when she was like, you know what we're doing, Attack of the Clones, I was like, I'm there. We'll watch it
0: for the billionth time. Um, You know, we'll put ourselves through that torture.
2: For all of you. That's why. (laughs) Yes,
1: that's that's why we do this. We do it for you listeners. We exactly. sit through no chemistry. We sit through a bad script. We sit through CGI that was very impressive at the time, but now is a little
0: dodgy. We sit through racialized caricatures. Listen. And for all listen. of you who are sitting there going, okay, I know you guys wanted to talk about Star Wars, but this is not a rom-com. Why are you talking about it on this podcast? Seriously, guys, this movie, it's a bad one, but it is a romance. It follows the plot structure, and it has so many of the genre markers of a romance, and in many ways of a rom-com, or at least like an action romance, which as we've discussed before, often sort of overlaps with the rom-com genre, that it's hard to not talk about it in the way you would talk about a rom-com, because the main crux of this movie is the romance.
1: Yes, I would agree. I think that the romance is more central to this film than the political intrigue, which is, I would argue, and I will argue throughout this as an avowed Reylo shipper, With no shame. Oh, Janelle. Mm -hmm. You know what? It foreshadows what's going to happen in the sequels, and I regret nothing. I regret (laughs) absolutely
0: nothing. Well, I think the bigger problem is that it is meant to echo what happens in the original series, And it does a truly terrible job of that. Truly terrible. Especially considering that, in theory, it is written by the same person who wrote the original series. Yeah. So let's discuss the romance
2: of the original series, which is Han and Leia. Yes. Which everyone who ever watched the original series immediately felt the chemistry between the two of them, immediately wanted them to get together, and understood why in the end they did get together. Yes. So that's where this is trying to come from. And then...
0: And then George Lucas, 20 years later, was like, I think what was good was that they argued a lot. Let's just create two people who yell at each other and call it true love. And I got to tell you, that's not what happened.
2: Yeah. It's also not just that they yell at each other. What he's trying to have them do is have playful, witty banter, as you mentioned in your lovely intro. But what happens is, is that they say words and then clearly someone behind the camera said, now you have to laugh. And then they awkwardly <laughs> laugh at the words that are not funny. And we're supposed to think that it was witty. Yeah. Unlike, in, again, in the original, Han and Leia, who are actually funny. And when they fight, they say words that are funny.
1: Yeah. And smart. Yeah, I have to say that this movie, I mean, this is only the second time I've ever seen it. Um And... And, and I actually know it better from the memes than I know it from the movie itself. And boy, it has the same sort of energy as the rom cons written by a neural network. You know, it's sort of like, this has the this has the general frame and shape of people falling in love with each other, but there's just an uncanny valley thing going on here that that is missing. And I don't know if it's chemistry, or I don't know if it's the stilted dialogue or what the magic ingredient is that worked for, you know, uh, Han and Leia that does not work here. But I would love to dive into that for sure. Let's do it.
0: You know, I'm so glad that you said that because last night when we were rewatching the movie, I said a very similar thing in that it, when you just look at the romance of the movie, when you ignore the the political thriller and the and the you know sci-fi action parts of it, it does feel structurally a lot like those other early 2000s rom-coms that we've talked about that fall so flat and are so like emotionless. And that feels like this. And I think it's those things we're touching on that, they say a line that's not really funny and then they both laugh or they say a line that's not really sexy or charming and then the other one acts as if they're charmed and you're just sort of like, I, you're going through the motions but none of this is effectively working.
2: It also applies, what you say, built by a neural <laughs> network. It also applies to the sets and costumes that they put mm-hmm. them in because as we were watching last oh night, they just put them in scenes that are supposedly romantic and a setting where There should be a romance, but nothing about the situation makes any sense for why they would be in that setting. And so it doesn't make any sense. It's as if someone was like, here are the elements that make a romance. Let's put them in a pot and see what happens. Right.
0: The I mean, the the sort of most egregious part of this is, of course, so the the plot occurs at the beginning of the movie to introduce the two characters um, very briefly, because theoretically we've already been introduced to them in a previous film. Um, and then to set up the inciting incident which forces them on a adventure together right which is a very sort of traditional romance kind of trope something happens that makes the two characters have to work together and go off on a journey just the two of them and of course the time together means that they're going to like develop feelings or explore their feelings more whatever it is very traditional sort of romantic story setup but then we get them on this sort of romantic getaway in Naboo, where they're theoretically hiding out by just going to the vacation spots on her home planet. So the logic already flawed here. And then we just continually put them in these sort of romantic settings. Here they're having a picnic on some grass. Here they're having dinner by the firelight. Here they're, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But never once in any of those moments is there anything that leads to the romantic setup. Like there's this ridiculous scene where the two of them are sitting half a foot away from each other in front of a fireplace in an otherwise completely dark room, already sort of breathing heavy and talking in low whispers. And it's the part of the scene where the two people are now in a romantic setup that should have happened after the first half of the scene where they're not right. Like if you have two people who get snowed in and then they have to build a fire to stay warm. Now the fire has created romance, but there's a reason it happened or they start by sitting on opposite couches. So they're just having a normal conversation, but then the conversation gets heated and one of them moves to the same couch so that they can really emphasize their point. And suddenly the two characters realize that they're sitting inches away from each other and maybe they're going to kiss. And that's how you get to the romance. Instead, George Lucas just repeatedly is like, what's a romantic moment if they're sitting on a couch in front of the fire, two inches away from each other. We'll just start the scene there. (laughs) What's a romantic moment if they're rolling down the hill of these fields We'll just start the scene there. Like, it. there's no impetus for any of it. No, it, none of it makes any sense for why it occurs.
2: It's just, you're just supposed to buy into, ah, they're doing things that will help them fall in love without any actual need for them to be there. So none of it feels critical. None of it feels important. And therefore, you're like, I don't care about this romance at all. The thing I do care about is watching terrible CGI of potato animals. <laughs> <laughs> while Anakin Skywalker pretends to ride on one because that is quality TV right there. And that's what makes it work, right? Like that's the thing about this movie
1: that keeps it alive in the memes is that it is all, it is very nearly camp. I mean, that is kind of what it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think I, I want to pinpoint the things that y'all have been saying to some two critical to two critical writing issues that mm-hmm. don't, don't just come up in this film, but they come up in the whole concept of the prequels in general, right? Yeah. One of them is that when you're writing prequels to a really well-known property, in a way, it's a huge writing challenge because the audience knows what's going to happen eventually. The entire series is dramatic irony, right? Meaning mm-hmm. that the audience knows where this is going, but the characters don't. Mm-hmm. So because of that, yeah, the stakes are incredibly low. Like, we know that Padme and Anakin are going to get together and they're going to have twins and Padme is going to die. And so, like, what more new information are we getting from this? Not a lot, except for that Anakin hates sand. And then also... Sand. <laughs> Sand. We have the additional problem, and hear me out, the first movie, episode one, um, we see baby Anakin fall in love with teenage Padme, and I feel like there is a similar sort of Twilight issue going on there, where it's like, mm-hmm. I think we're all just gonna feel a little less invested in a romance that began between a literal child and a basically a young adult. There's just a lot. There's a lot there preventing us from investing in in this romance. So,
2: yeah. When we were watching this last night, we spent the entire time saying, why the was this a choice that they made here? Like, why did this happen? How did this choice that he was going to be a child and they would use the same actress for her throughout, why did that make any sense at all? Right? Yeah. But the thing that I actually think is its greatest downfall is that it makes Anakin Not just unbelievable because we don't care about their romance, but it makes him actively creepy. The whole movie, he is just unacceptably creepy towards Mm -hmm. her in a way that happens when you have a, a childhood crush that is your only obsession you've ever had. And so then it maybe morphs into something more later on. Right. So you spend the whole time being like, ew, this is gross.
0: Well, and they're trying to set it up so that at first she thinks of him as young, and then as she gets to see him, you know, as a professional Jedi, she sort of starts to think of him as an adult, and then realizes she's attracted to him. But how it comes across is just she is continually like, uh, "Stop looking at me like that. Stop talking to me like that. You're a kid. I remember when you were a kid. Let me say this line about how I remember when you were a kid." And then she makes out with him. There's no transition. No. Um, and you're right. I definitely like as someone who babysat a lot when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I can remember a few times young boys I babysat, as they got a little bit older, you could see them start to have a crush on you, and it was suddenly so uncomfortable because you're like, okay, I'm a 17-year-old girl, and suddenly this, like, 11-year-old boy has noticed my boobs. Yeah. And, like, it's that's a thing that happens. It's part of, you know, sexual development, but it is incredibly uncomfortable to be that older person in that scenario. So to give us that as this, like, paragon of romance... Doesn't work. It's so uncomfortable. And it's frustrating because since we're doing this back writing, yes, we know the romance is going to end badly. But in order to make it as effective as possible, you do need to want to root for it at some point, even knowing where it's going to end. And I don't think they accomplish yeah, that. Yeah,
1: I I agree. And I think that that's part of the the critical tension is that, yes... There is this like creepy, I fell in love with my babysitter, Mary Kay Letourneau situation going on. (laughs) But then we are also expected to believe that this romance is faded, and not Mm -hmm. because of some sort of cosmic reason, but because the universe of the story believes it to be fated. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that was what I was constantly like communicated to in the scene was like Anakin saying, you know, I have thought about her every day for 10 years, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, okay, all right. That doesn't mean that it's good. It kind of brings me back to some of the Regency novels or some of the, um, you know, sort of Bronte novels where you would see situations like this with like a character. I mean, listen, I love Wuthering Heights and everything, but obsession is not a pathway to love. And I really Mm -hmm. want to talk about some of the ideology in their romantic scenes that come up along these lines. Like the whole thing about compassion
2: Okay. okay. Can we talk about it? Can we no. talk about it? No, we have to just move on. I'll get too angry. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> we have to. I'm so obsessed with it. And it's related to <laughs> Raylo. So... Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> we can't talk
0: about it related to Raylo. I refuse. <laughs> no, but the thing is, and like, I am very much not a Raylo shipper as opposed to my darling Janelle, but I almost think those kind of arguments make more sense with the setup that the two of them have later on. Because like, basically what's happening here is Anakin's going, well we're not supposed to have attachments and, you know, personal desires that we act on, right? Like it's a very sort of monks kind of setup here that we're supposed to understand that Jedi don't get married, that they're devoted to, if not the church, then the force, right? And he's like, but our entire job is to be compassionate and loving and caring, you know, as creatures to the world. And so in many ways, love is a good thing for us because it's what we're supposed to practice, which is the just biggest pile of like, bullshit spewing out of his mouth. Those are different things. I understand that the English language uses love to cover a lot of things. I get that. It's a flaw in the English language for something that has so many goddamn words. We don't have a lot of nuance when it comes to that particular emotion linguistically. Beyond that, compassion and sexual attraction or action are such different things. Comparing them in any way is so laughable.
2: Yeah. And also his what he's doing is what Honestly, a lot of creepy men do, which is justifying actions and manipulating people into believing them by twisting language to fit their needs, right? Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what he's doing and yet it's presented in a way in the movie where you're supposed to believe that it's sexy, right? right? He presents it, he says this ridiculous sentence about how so in a way Jedi are encouraged to love and you're like fuck off sir, really, <laughs> please. Um, but leave me alone to drink at the bar. Thank but you. But Padme then like smiles you know, with a coy look on her face and whatever else, which is clearly what she was directed to do. And you know that Natalie Portman spent the whole time thinking, this is not what a real woman would think. A real woman would leave. I don't understand. But she is paid to play this part. But that's sort of the problem with every line that he says. He says it, it is so clearly written by someone who doesn't understand romance. um, Because every line he says is in some way, manipulative or creepy or just upsetting honestly um and this actually brings up a point for me of how their conversations make zero sense Mm. which is that he says a lot of things that are honestly kind of fascist right the the whole conversation they have in the meadow about how maybe we should have a dictatorship and she's like "Ha, ha ha no um but then she still finds him charming, despite the fact that he has said things that directly contradict everything she's ever stood for or fought for in this supposed political world. Like, everything he says just comes with a layer of, ew, no, the whole time, I- including the oh my thing.
1: Alex, I have so many academic thoughts about this entire thing that I am so excited about. Okay, so, um, Please. The, last, like, <laughs> the last seminar I took in graduate school was about love uh, and philosophies of love. And one of the things that we talked about and that I am sort of obsessed with is that there is this writer called Michael Cobb who has a book called Single Arguments for the Uncoupled. And one of the, um, one of the arguments that he makes is that there's this thing called hegemonic love, right? Which the, the, the philosopher Zazov Zizek would probably say is this evil kind of love where we pick one person against the rest of the universe and decide that we love them and fuck everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, weirdly, and I'm so upset with myself for saying this, like, Star Wars Episode Two is actually a really good example to illustrate exactly those ideas, mm-hmm. right? That there is something about a certain kind of love that can be quite fascist. Because you value one person, one idea, one sort of solitary thing above all others. And it is directly connected, you're right, to everything Anakin says about, like, getting people to fall in line and a powerful Jedi, you know, stopping the forces mm-hmm. of death. You know, it's all wrapped up. Yeah, Absolutely. you know, that's
0: making me think a lot about um, and this next bit is about the animated Star Wars series, no. Clone Wars series. So if you are someone who has not watched that and doesn't want to be spoiled, just skip ahead for about two minutes. But <laughs> Wow, you're going to talk about this for a while. <laughs> but Obi-Wan, the character of Obi-Wan in the animated series, is given a love interest. Who we are to understand has been a love interest of him for some time, of his for some time, since he himself was a Padawan. And she is a political figure who is has stayed and you know continued as a political figure on her planet. And he followed the path to become a Jedi. And it's obviously meant to parallel the Anakin and Padme situation in the Clone Wars animated series. Anakin and Padme are married at this point and hiding their relationship. And so you Bad. as the, very badly. <laughs> and so you, as the viewer, are supposed to be like, okay, I see. Like Obi Wan also went through this, so like it's not just Anakin. Except that. Obi-Wan and his love interest did choose to not remain together. And there's all this angst that comes from it and, you know, story drama. But it works so much better because you have these two very principled people who, despite their love, which, you know, has made them make mistakes in the past, they have not sacrificed their principles and they continue to respect and, in fact, love each other for that. So then to look at Anakin and Padme, who are these two very principled people who care about their careers, care about their sort of life passions that they've dedicated themselves to, and to watch them sacrifice all of that just so they can be together and they can't even be together on the terms they would like to be, feels so much more hollow because you don't understand why they're doing anything they're doing. And we're given this example of a couple where you do understand all of their actions.
2: Yeah. um, Let's discuss Obi-Wan. The love of my life.
0: <laughs> Shout out to Ewan McGregor. <laughs> <Yes>. So
2: <laughs> Who's working so hard
0: in these movies yes. to make these movies anything worth watching.
2: Well, that's the thing that I was going to say, right? Is that you have... So, so, Janelle, as you mentioned at the beginning, the romance of this movie is absolutely the crux of this movie. But you also still have this sort of secondary plot going on that is related to the larger, overarching story of how the Clone Wars get started. Mm-hmm. And so you're following Obi-Wan as he whatever... Gets rained on a lot. And, but Obi-Wan the whole time is a genuinely much more charming and funny and witty and interesting character. Whereas what we were talking about before with how Padme starts out the movie seeing Anakin as whiny and like a young child, he remains whiny the whole <laughs> time. Let's be real. And when you have him contrasted with someone like Obi-Wan, the audience spends the whole time being like, hold on. Why is she going for that one? (laughs) Let's go for the good one, who is clearly Obi-Wan. But again, in our conversation about how this is a romantic comedy in many ways, Obi-Wan's storyline then specifically sets up the romance of Padme and Anakin so that they have to go try to save him and end up in a life-threatening situation, which is a very, very common trope, right? Right. They fall in love, but then they're denying each other's feelings and they're set up into, or they're, they're thrown into some sort of crazy situations so that eventually they have to admit their love for each other, right? But so Obi-Wan in the end ends up being a device for them to then open up and Padme to be like, I love you and have the stupidest line in all of television history, whatever it is, deeply, passionately, forever. I hate it. It's fine. <laughs> um, And so Obi-Wan for all of his amazingness, ends up being just a device in this movie, which Mm -hmm. I honestly think is so sad because he's so much better.
0: (laughs) Well, Well, and he's also an
1: example of how the genres in this movie get so confused because he's in a film noir... And Padme and Anakin are in a romance. And then somewhere in here, there's also a political
0: intrigue. Right, right. Yoda and Mace Windu are actually in a political intrigue, which is so funny because they're continually set up to be these incredible fighters. And at the end Mm -hmm. of this movie and the end of the next one, we do see them both fight. But realistically, they're the ones who are in the political thriller where they're trying to unravel the political mystery. Obi-Wan's trying to unravel a much more, like, direct sort of murder mystery, film noir kind of style. But then he also is serving as this, like, witty banter catty best friend character to Anakin you know in the intro to Anakin we get the two of them joking about their history and like Mm -hmm. look we've got a brother dynamic and it feels very much like the big sister character in so many of the rom-coms we watch so he's serving that and then he ends up being this plot device at the end to bring the two of them to this you know like we're about to die we have to admit our feelings moment and then when they're all about to die in this gladiatorial combat arena the three of them have this witty banter thing back and forth that's just so out of place in the moment like obi-wan is trying so hard but he's serving so many conflicting roles. Yeah. he They put him in literally every trope that you can think of
2: including at the end he's an amazing fighter and you're like hold on. So he's just perfect. Why the heck isn't Padme in love with him? <laughs> right? <laughs> why would you pick the whiny boy when Obi-Wan is right there? <laughs> I mean we know that he's in love with Satine from the Clone Wars but it's fine.
1: Um, okay. Can we talk about this scene? I'm sorry. There's like a moment speaking of why Padme loves Anakin this is the thing that frustrates me the, the most about this movie. There's that scene where they're having a meeting in, on Naboo with the new queen of Naboo. And and Padme's like, oh, like, don't worry about it. Like, Anakin's not a Jedi. He's just a Padawan. And Anakin's like, excuse me, excuse me. I'm a big deal. I am a very big deal. I am a big boy now. And I just was thinking, like, this is the least attractive thing a man has ever said on camera. And that is a yes. difficult contest. So I truly do not understand how Padme is attracted to Anakin, like, at all. Except for, again, sort of deus ex machina, it's fate because the plot says so.
0: Yes. Well, and as you said at the beginning, writing backwards like this, right? Writing a prequel where everyone knows in and out the details of how it is going to end is a difficult writing challenge. And you have to think like, okay, knowing that this is where we have to end up and this is what we have to accomplish, what is the best way to get to that end? Mm -hmm. And there's sort of two steps to that. I think there's the basic, like where you sketch out the plot where you're like okay so like the physical things that need to happen are you know whatever they need to get married at some point they need to fall in love okay in order to do that they need to be alone together at some point so it needs to be a machination that creates a situation where the two of them would get sent off together even though he's a jedi and she's a senator you know you do all of that and then you've got to fill in the pieces that make those steps believable and this whole movie And both in the romance and the other parts of the movie, the problem with this movie that most people agree on is that no one really said no to George Lucas at any stage. Mm -hmm. And this whole movie feels like that first step where it's just the outline. Because it's like, okay, we know that we need to establish that they knew each other when they were younger and that he was a kid. And even though she was still quite young, she was really much more of an adult. Let's establish that. And then we need to establish that they've fallen in love. And there was no thought given to how do we get between those two points. It just gave us the two points.
2: Yeah. And this sort of points, I think, to a larger problem with the character of Padme in general, which is that they were like, we know Luke and Leia need a mom, right? (laughs) Right. We're going to make her a cool badass queen and then a cool badass senator who fights for people. And beyond that, they haven't thought of anything else that goes into her character and makes her who she is. So what you're talking about with no one said no to George Lucas, George Lucas also didn't give his actors any background. She had nothing to Mm -hmm. play with. She has no community, no network, no real personality other than being a senator. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we were talking about with Obi-Wan also filling the role of sassy best friend for Anakin or big brother or whatever, she doesn't get anything like a sassy best friend for her. So she doesn't get any other person that she can build off of. And all of their conversations are about Anakin.
0: Well, and in fact, there is a deleted scene where when they first go into hiding, they go and meet her family on Naboo. Mm -hmm. And it's not a great scene, but it is a scene where you get a little established, you know, Established sort of like, this is what her family's like. This is what they think of the fact that she left so young to go into politics. This is sort of where she came from. She's privileged, but she does come from a loving background, you know, etc. And they decided that that even tiniest bit of background was just unnecessary. Right. Fully Instead, cut it let's
2: have a 20 minute scene of her being trapped in a molten lava vat for no reason, but never actually getting
0: killed. Also, let's not forget the potato guys. The
2: potato animals, my favorite characters. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so the movie just feels like it is exactly what you're talking about. It is a outline, a sketchy outline, that they decided to fill in with random details that they thought would be kind of fun, right? but not a lot of thought. Can I
1: insert a thought that I have right now? And bear with me, it is related to Raylo, but very indirectly. So, when the sequels came out, a reaction from the fan base that I found very interesting, especially... And I'm just going to say it, the white male nerd boys who love these movies were very frustrated by how central the romance and the obvious romance, in my opinion, from The Force Awakens onward between Kylo Ren and Rey was to the plot, to the overarching plot of what would become the three sequels. However, with this movie, romance is an important part of this film, but I have never seen the same sort of criticism for that. I mean, it's, it's like... It's very strange to me. And maybe it's because I was so young when these movies came out, when we were all quite young when these movies came out. So maybe we weren't as tapped into the criticism. But I wonder if there's something to be said for, and I know y'all will fight me on this. There is something to be said for the fact that in this case, the romance is done so poorly and it's fulfilling something we already know in the plot. So people aren't bothered by it as much as like in the sequels where the romance between these two characters was the engine for the plot.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do think that, yes, the romance in this is a little more The plot directly hinges on it, whereas the um, Ray and Kylo Ren romance, while it serves the plot, the plot could happen without it, you know, right? Like, the actual, like, points that occur are not contingent on the relationship. And so if someone is ready to make an argument that the romance is not important, it's easier for those movies. But I honestly think it's more a perspective thing in that this romance, as we're saying, because Padme is so, you know, just... Dull in it and not actually important. This romance is from the perspective of Anakin. It is from the perspective of the white whiny boy. <laughs> and <laughs> honestly, the Ray per- um romance is in many ways from the perspective of Ray because it all hinges on how will this affect Ray? Is Ray giving into it? Does Ray want this? How does this affect her journey? Whereas this is not about Padme's journey. This is about Anakin's journey. And so if a, you know, a nerd boy who feels like everything should be about the man is trying to find things to complain about. It's going to be easier for him to complain about the Ray romance than the Anakin romance.
2: Yeah. The, the, the thing about the sequels, Janelle, is that it may have started with the intention that the romance was going to be the engine. And then the middle movie just like completely messed it up. And so then by the end, I will you were fight like,
1: you. I will fight you. We
2: are going to okay, fight about this. It's fine. <laughs> we can fight about this. It's totally fine. Basically, but, 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 For me, the sequels feel incredibly disjointed, right? Mm -hmm. In that the middle one doesn't feel like it's part of the same story as the the first and the third, which is a whole other problem, which we're not going to get into because that's not what we're talking about here.
0: But But you're right. For all the problems with the prequels, they, as a set, don't feel disjointed. No. They just, each movie is disjointed. And also,
2: each movie is disjointed and the romance in it, what we're talking about of this... This romance has to happen because it has to happen. Don't ask any questions, <laughs> right? So when it came out, everyone already knew it was going to be a thing. And so mm-hmm. it. I think that some of the backlash against the romance in the sequels was that everyone was confused.
0: And people weren't as confused in the prequels because they were like, yeah, we know, we get it, move on. Right. Like um, the, the romance, or lack thereof, or how it went, or whatever, in the sequels, I think there was a lot more up for interpretation in what was going to happen. No one knew where that was leading, so everyone came up with their own ideas. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, no one didn't think there was going to be a romance in the prequels. Right. And the other thing that I'll bring up is that in the original
2: trilogy, the romance that grows out of it a was far more organic in the process of making the movies mm-hmm. because Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher were like, "Hey, we think that our characters are a thing." And they were like, "Well, maybe." Um, but also that romance is less of an engine like what you're talking about in the sequels. So, mm-hmm. I obviously wasn't alive when the originals came out, but the and I don't know how much of the, there was of a backlash against the Han and Leia romance. But it is less of an engine than in the sequel. So it feels like less of the whole story hinges on that romance. So I would imagine there was a slightly less back there was slightly less backlash against it. Whereas yeah. having Raylo be your central thing and having it be so confusing and weird. Sorry, Janelle. It just is. Um, okay. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, is makes it really difficult. Yeah. Um, whereas going back to the masterpiece that is Attack of that we are discussing right now, they decided they needed to fit this romance into a movie. And then they just made a rom-com by mistake.
0: (laughs) Right. Like, you would never argue that any of the original three movies is a rom-com, even though there's obviously a very strong romance that um, develops over the course of the three films. And again, I think part of it was organic. They started to see the, you know, the natural chemistry between the two actors and were like, okay, we can feed into this. Mm-hmm. But also part of it, I think, was organic to that kind of storytelling. Because again, that setup of like people thrown into extreme circumstances, then developing strong feelings, that is a very traditional storytelling device. And I think there's a reason for that, because I think that happens in real life, right? This is why you get show romances and things like that, because when you are in the middle of very heightened emotional circumstances, you are going to develop heightened emotions. And so to have Luke and Leia and Han in these heightened circumstances where they're constantly having to work together, somewhere in there, very strong emotions are going to develop. And so it makes sense for someone in there to have a romance. Whereas this just felt like they created heightened circumstances so they could have a romance rather than the other way
1: Yeah, the the moment where they tell them like, oh, yeah, you're going to go and pretend to be refugees. We're going to put you on a little train and send you out of town. I was just like, oh, my God, this is like the this is like the plot version of when we would tell people in our college theater troupe to, quote, go hug it out in a classroom (laughs) when we needed them to pretend like they had chemistry like that is exactly the same vibe.
0: Yep. No, you're totally right it's It's so forced, and it doesn't have to be like there's so many ways, and people have been for two decades now proposing ways that the movie could have been better, right, like we don't need to get into every possible other version of this that could have you know could have happened because we could go on forever, but I think just the fact that that is a common thing for people to do on the internet, write essays about it, make videos about it is proof that there are ways for the story to have happened more organically, and people are frustrated that it feels so. Sort of shoved into the wrong shape box. Mm -hmm. And again, you've got this political thing on top of it all, and you've created Padme as this political character, but none of her actual political beliefs influence the story or her actions. And as a woman trying to watch this movie, that gets more and more frustrating as you go through all three prequels, because you want her to be this strong, divisive Princess Leia type character who has strong convictions and stands up for them and then does something about them. And much like in a musical, when there's too much emotion to speak, you sing. When there's too much going on for her to actually have a political stance, then she pulls out her gun and fights. And instead it just feels like, well, when there's a gun battle happening, she pulls out her gun. Because that's what an action cool chick does. Yeah, but even within the action sequences, and obviously
2: the action sequences are what would distinguish this from a quote, normal rom-com, mm-hmm. right? But even within the action sequences, she is literally just a prop 90% of the time, right? Yeah. In the sequence where they're being attacked in the gladiator ring by funny creatures and whatever, she's just a prop to be a sexy woman who gets her shirt ripped off, right? <laughs> That's her whole shtick. And then at one point, she it's cute because she jumps on the back of the thing that Anakin saves her on and gives him a little kiss and you're supposed to be like, oh my God, look at them, they're so in love. But she's just a prop again, propping up Anakin. Right. And, and Leia's never like that. No. I mean, hello. Leia gets to kill her enslaver with a chain. Like, right? She gets far more agency. Um, Whereas you're supposed to think that Padme is her analog. And instead, Padme is really, again, just either a visual prop, as it is when they rip her shirt off, or a prop for Anakin's development Mm -hmm. when. He is, like, trying to get to her to save her in the droid factory. Is that what it is? It's a droid factory. Yeah. Um, trying to get to her in the droid factory, and he's sad, and he loses his lightsaber. And then R2 saves her, because R2-D2 is the hero of all of the movies. <laughs> Fall in love with R2. Okay, that's too far. But.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a final question, I guess, to wrap us up that I'm curious about your thoughts on as much more devoted fans of this uh, this, you know, universe than I am. One, what do you think is the, the role or, like, the importance of romance in the whole Star Wars universe? And then, two, like, why do you think the the prequels fail so disastrously at creating a badass female character when both the original films and the sequels,
0: I feel like, succeed pretty, pretty well in ways that hold um, up? I mean, the role of romance, it's so interesting because, if, again, if we're looking at everything as building off of the original trilogy, which is, you know, where all of the story comes out of originally— and it's, it's Luke's story of his development and his learning about the world around him. What he discovers is that in addition to this power he has, he also almost had a family. Mm-hmm. And because of the forces at work of the universe fighting against that, he lost that. He didn't get to have a father. He didn't get to be there for his father so his father could remain compassionate and loving. He didn't get to have that relationship with his sister. His mother died when they were young, right? Like, it's... The love in the sense of familial love and uh, compassion, I think, is more important there in that had they been together, there's this implication that things would have gone better, right? Like it is his insistence that he believes in his father that eventually causes Vader slash Anakin to sort of return and realize what he once believed in and what he cares about. And so going back, what you need to set up is the idea of what could have been. And that does include a romance because that includes a loving couple who have a family. But I think the family part of that is actually more important to the sort of tonality and to the themes that we're trying to get to than the sexy, sexy, lovemaking times type of romance that they try to go for.
2: Right, which is why... I mean, your question is, what is the role of romance? But going off of what you just said about how important family is and why the original trilogy was so successful was because it was ultimately about family, whether Mm -hmm. that is literal family or found family,
0: right? Love a found family trope.
2: Either way, that is what the original trilogy was about. And that is why the relationship between, again, in the prequels, Anakin and Obi-Wan is in fact a stronger relationship than Anakin and Padme is because they actually have what feels like familial love and familial banter and familial brother to me. yeah okay that <laughs> we're not talking about that i mean like they did build yeah. up to it better than they built up to the romantic love with padme and anakin but mm-hmm. i just to answer the overarching question of what the role of romance is like romance is part of the human condition right and these are stories set in ridiculous and wonderful worlds and universes and if you didn't have romance in it i think it would feel less Mm-hmm. believable and less relatable. And so at a certain point there's there's r- the role of romance in these movies is to represent an, a very very important part of the human condition because mm-hmm. that was the scope of the movies overall anyway. Um right. however, what the what the original trilogy does is show romance in its sort of nascent form and then as it's growing in the heat of war and all of that between Han and Leia, which was one form of it. In the sequels, the romance between Rey and Kylo Ren is, of course, incredibly more complicated and, you know, whatever else. But it is it is there. I will I also concede.
0: Think, I think that there's a need there. There's a that, need there. In, in that, yeah. that romance, right? It's, it's the need for each other, for the understanding that the other one mm-hmm. brings, for the power that they get off of each other. The need in the prequels is the need for them to get married because the plot dictates it. Right. right? <laughs> and in response to your other question about the differences in the way these three females come across... I think that that's part of it is that Leia is a character who is strong and has an actual purpose to the plot that has to do with her political stances and her position as a leader and all of that. And then she gets to be softened by having this romance. And Rey is a character who serves the plot by her being a Jedi, by her having this strength, by her being the impetus for the plot. You know, she's the one who sort of ends up bringing everyone together. Um, And then there is also this romance which begins to influence her actions. And I think that Padme is a character whose value to the plot is that she is a romantic character, right? Like, her value to the plot is that he is going to marry her and have babies with her. And then they add on this, like, strong female badass chick vibe on top of it. And that feels much less organic than creating a character and then finding the values that she has and the romance that she experiences and letting that grow out of her. Instead, she begins with the romance need and then they try to create a series of personality traits and shove it into the box. Right. So even from
2: the beginning, she just feels like the token woman. Yeah. Which she is. There's very few, any
0: other, if any other, female characters in the... Right. But you don't watch the original people. series and think of Leia as the token woman. Even though she, she even more super so is. is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but...
2: But Padme, from the beginning, you know she's going to be the
0: the love.
2: (laughs) Um, And so it just feels much more stale. And again, I just will argue that the directorial choices, the writing choices, even the costume choices for her set her up to be just a prop most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so she just feels stale 90% of the time. And um, I don't think that's the fault of Natalie Portman, but I Mm -hmm. do think it is the fault of everything else going on around her. Yeah. Um. The only other women you see are her doubles, who could potentially act as friends, and they don't get to. They just stand there and be like, "I sort of look like her."
0: Right. And you're given Rose Byrne. You're given Kira Knightley. Like, yeah. it's not like there aren't actresses in these scenes that could perform these roles of the fellow women, mm-hmm. and they just—they're just other people to be killed off. Yeah. Exactly. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really it actually, does.
2: I don't know if we actually talked about anything. Honestly, no, I'm so impressed did. with
0: how succinct we were.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, I actually think that like uh, that, that last line of like they're just things, they're just women around to be killed off was a really good like way to end it. I thought it was cool. really kind of succinctly
0: summarized a lot of yeah, the issues. It's just it's really like the women in the prequels are so prop like. And again, Lord knows the sequels have their issues, and we can disagree about what those issues are. But the character who feels the most prop like is Finn. So it's not a woman issue. No, then we get oh. into racial issues. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's fun. Whole, that's the whole right, but like whole he accent. he suffers that same kind of thing, right? Where they were like, we need a character like this, so we'll create one, and then Rose Tico as well, I guess, and both of them then don't have like real personalities, and they suffer, I think, in the same way Padme does.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so- but. Just to bring this all back to romantic comedies, I will still argue that this movie is a romantic
0: comedy. But I mean, it is. ends in a fucking wedding. Like, this movie ends in a wedding. It ends, ends in it, a wedding. And it starts with the two characters who used to know each other when they were young being introduced and then being shoved into a weird, like, now you must exist together circum. It's such a romance. It's just a bad one. It's,
2: yeah. It's a bad one with excellent side characters who you just want to spend all your time focusing on <laughs> which yeah. i guess can- does happen in many rom-coms
0: where you're like hey i want to know sassy best friends character Wait, like i want to know more about katherine <laughs> han i want to know more yeah. about whatever john krasinski like pick your pick, pick your, your person
1: yeah. uh this is the time every week where we take a break to thank our romantic leads on patreon uh and all of Woo. our patrons Um, Our romantic leads are Bob, Esther, Ian, Trey, and Melissa. You know, you're not like sand. You're not coarse or rough. You're everything smooth and soft. Uh,
0: No, we don't like sand, but we like you. Thank you to our romantic leads and to all of our Patreons. And if you would like to become one of those patrons, you can go to patreon.com slash romcomkilljoys. And for as little as $1 a month, that's just $12 a year, you can help to keep this podcast going. We love making it. We love sharing it with you. You can also support us by going to Facebook and Instagram and following us there and comment on our photos and listen to the podcast and just keep being part of our very cool found family.
1: Now it is time for us to offer, uh, I, you know, this is a week actually where I'm not entirely sure. Like I'm offering an antidote, but honestly, like ladies, I don't know where you land. So Alex. Oh no, we need uh, some antidotes. (laughs) Great, great. Um, Alex, uh, hit us up. What are you recommending this week?
2: So no one will be shocked by this, and Eliza already mentioned it. But the world of animated Star Wars is actually, I'm going to say, a thousand percent better than the prequels. So my, if you want to see a much more fleshed out and interesting world, including female characters who are not props, and just sort of generally better explanations of the entire world of the prequels, I highly recommend watching The Clone Wars, but actually, which is an animated series on Disney+. Plus. However, my favorite of the animated Star Wars is actually called Star Wars Rebels, which is another animated series that takes place after The Clone Wars, before the original series, and is a whole new, different crew of people. Again, an amazing found family story, mm-hmm. and a far, far better story <laughs> than anything else that you find because they are able to do it in a format across many, many episodes, so they're actually able to flesh out characters and stories in ways that you can't in a movie. Um, so go watch Star Wars Rebels. It's amazing. and Dula
0: is best. <laughs> yeah, I, I support that. Thank you. Janelle, what about you? What would you suggest we watch?
1: Um, are you guys ready to be really mad at me? Of course. Always. Already there. Um, yeah. Great. Uh, my antidote is The Last Jedi. Come for me in the comments, I dare you! It is The Last Jedi! It is the only romantic Star Wars movie. Fight me. Fight me. I think, first of all, that its, it's whole conception, in terms of romance, being about balance, being about connecting with someone, being about um, exploring a connection that you can't make sense of, but for some reason you're drawn to, I know that's in my wheelhouse in terms of romance, but I just find it so compelling. And no, it is not necessarily cohesive with the other movies and the sequels. I will concede that. Ryan Johnson made a fabulous, beautiful film. And, you know, the others are fine. The last one is not fine. It's not fine in any way. Um, But I will watch The Last Jedi over and over again, and I will swoon every time. And uh, thank you, goodnight. I I turned in my resignation from this podcast. I'm so sorry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Janelle, I'm kicking you off. (laughs) Yeah, that's that is a wild take. I'm gonna say, (laughs) listeners, Janelle and I have had many a discussion, and we'll continue to have many a discussion on our differing opinions on that particular film. Um, While I understand a lot of the things she likes about it, I think she's ignoring everything else that's wrong (laughs) with it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. But going off of that, um, we have now completely panned the second film of the prequels. We have disagreed about the second film of. The sequels and i'm going to suggest the second film of the original
2: trilogy (laughs) (laughs) i'm really glad are still star wars if you
0: want star wars if you want sci-fi space and you want love why would you watch anything other than empire strikes back because han and leia are the og they did it right they did it best and the scene where they kiss on the ship is so fucking sexy every time you watch it you just don't need anything else. Plus, you still get the comedy of 3PO popping in and cock-blocking them, and 3PO is actually funny in this movie, as opposed to in episode two, where he's just a weird pun factory. So, if that's what you're looking for, that is what I would suggest. Go watch the originals. Or just watch that scene on repeat. Which oh. you can also do. Yeah. Uh, thank you, YouTube. I also would suggest if you like thinking about the sequels, sorry, the if you like thinking about the prequels and how they could have been better, there is a... YouTube um, video that is from right around the time that these movies came out, so it was about 20 years old at this point, probably 15 years old. We're so old! <laughs> um, but that is called, What If Star Wars Episode One Was Good, Actually? <laughs> and it is a guy who is a, you know, um, movie critic who talks about how he would have written Star Wars Episode One had George Lucas presented him with the basic plot outline that he clearly made episode one The Phantom Menace. And I'm not saying that this is the be-all end-all how the movie should have gone, but it's definitely a much better proposal for what the plot could have been. And I really like this particular video because I think it gets you thinking a lot about the machinations of the plot and all that stuff we were talking about earlier in this episode about how you would achieve the end goal knowing that that's where you had to go. I find it just much more interesting and a lot of fun to think about like, okay, I've given these basic characters how would I tweak them so that they're just more interesting and their interactions are more interesting. So go check that out. Also shout out to all
1: the fan fiction writers over the years who have basically rewritten these movies in beautiful, compelling, and incredible ways.
0: You know what? We never really send people to go read some fan fiction. And I think if ever there were an episode, go read Star Wars fan fiction. It's going to be better. (laughs) Meanwhile, we are being interrupted right now by our own Chewbacca.
2: Yeah, so Chewie! Yeah, the end of this episode is just going to be a sign-off from the two of us and Chewie, who is like, hey guys, I think it might be time for food, even though it's an hour and a half too early. <laughs> <laughs> is
0: it time for dinner?
2: Anyway, thank you guys very much for having me. I will come pan Star Wars literally anytime. <laughs> Well, um, now we're gonna have to do the Last Jedi, so Um, okay. Yes, I mean honestly, I think we might fight like <laughs> legitimately get. That'll right? be
0: a knockout drag out fight, <laughs> knockdown drag out fight, and I can't wait for it. If you want to hear us talk about the Last Jedi, please let us know in the comments on Instagram, on Facebook, on Apple Podcasts, whatever. Let us know what you think of these movies. Where you fall? Are you in the mm-hmm. camp? Are you a Ray shipper? Or are you like what the fuck? Thank you for listening to the Romcom com Killjoys podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram.
1: If you'd like to support us further, you can become a
0: patron at patreon.com slash killjoys. Our theme song is Lady Slut Hitchhike Love by the band A Giant Dog, and the song you're listening to now is a cover of Baby Love by Colin Langaness. Remember, Killjoys, don't let anyone kill your joy. Not a rom-com. Not us. Not anyone. See, See you, you next time. Instead of breaking up, the stars from kissing everyone.